You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, I'm John Baxter, and I am an elder at One Hope Church. And our pastor, Justin, is not uh, with us this evening, so... Uh, he gave me the honor of being able to open God's word with you. I, I don't know but, um, about you, but I've really benefited by listening to Pastor Justin these last few months. Uh, I just sense a real deep desire that we experience the things that the, the Bible talks about, that it's not just simply in our head. And I see that in his commitment to prayer and I love the fact that one of the things he's asked us to do is to tell stories. And I know you probably know he's, he's been reading some stories about how God has worked miraculously around the world. And so one of the things he asked me to do today was to tell a little bit of our story, Jan's and my story. Um, I don't know how many of you know that, but, but we're actually supported uh, as missionaries by One Hope Church. Uh, we've been missionaries with um, Converge, that's a conference of churches, for uh, over 20 years. And uh, we first served in the Philippines in theological and missions education, training Filipino uh, church planters and Filipino missionaries to go particularly into Southeast Asia. And about 12 years ago, um, I was asked, we were asked to begin to work out of the United States and our our focus shifted to migrating peoples. There are about 280 million migrating people born outside of the the country they live and work in uh, around the world. And the missions world has become interested in this phenomenon of global migration. We call it diaspora missions. So Jan and I have have worked first with a a global um, network called Lausanne where we were helping mission training schools create um, classes and courses about working and, and migration. And then with another network that we helped start uh, called Next Move, and that actually is a, a peer learning group of mission agency leaders who work in this area of migration. And we help mission agencies and sending organizations around the world uh, learn how to more effectively engage with people on the move. And in doing that task, it turns out, um, I do a lot of consulting for mission leaders. And when you do consulting, you have to read up a bit. You're supposed to know something, right, before you go in and, 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 and tell people what their organization should be doing. So you have to read books by these uh, great gurus like Peter Drucker. He's a, a business consultant, very well known. And I was reading a book by him recently, and uh, he's talking about what leaders have to know. And one of the things that leaders have to know is they have to be very clear about what their what their real mission is. And it's, it's surprising when you find out how often people don't actually understand what, what their mission is at its very basic level. 125 years ago, uh, the, the transportation was dominated by wagons, right? And those people thought their business was, was wagons. Well, really their business was transportation. And because they didn't know that when the, when the, the car came into being, uh, those wagon companies disappeared, didn't they? Well, I was reading Peter Drucker, and he was 
He was asked by a large hospital chain to help them improve their emergency rooms. I think I got a picture of an emergency room. There you are. We've all been in there, right? And you probably have an idea about what's, what's the mission of an emergency room. You probably think about, you know, people saving lives and accidents and things like that. And uh, so he asked the leaders, says, what do, you, what do you think the mission of your emergency room is? And they said, well, it's health care. And, and Drucker said, that can't be right, because healthy people don't come to the emergency room. <laughs> he says, you're not, you're not really just um, promoting health care. You're doing something unique and, and, and indispensable. And so he said, why don't you go find out what that is? Why don't you observe what actually happens in your emergency rooms? And they did, and they came back to him. You know what they reported? At least 80% of the people who go in the doors of an emergency room don't have an emergency. They're not, they're not very sick. And so the, the, the nurses and the doctors say, you know, it's just a bump. He'll be fine. Take him home. He'll be good in the morning. Or it's just the flu. You know, it's not, it's not pneumonia. You'll be fine. Just go home. Or if it is something, a broken arm, don't worry, we can set that or we can admit you to the hospital. He said, what an emergency room really did was it gave people assurance. Because they didn't know, that's why they went. They hopped in the car and they went down the emergency room. It turns out their real mission is to assure you that either you're okay or that they're going to make you okay. And so now you see all these billboards all around the country about how many minutes you have to wait before someone will see you because they realize that what people want is they want to be seen and they want assurance. That's just an example. There's two examples about how easy it is to to not really know what our mission is. And you can guess where I'm going because I want to ask you, what's the mission of the local church? Of course, I would ask that. What's the mission of One Hope Church? Do we really have clarity about that? You know, we could probably come up with a, a list of things that we do. We, we, we study God's word. We, we worship together. We pray together. We encourage each other, right? These are, these are activities that, that churches must do. We, we share uh, the Lord's table together. We baptize new believers. But you know what's interesting? You can do every one of those things uh, really with strangers. You know, we've all been in conferences where we've worshipped. We've been to visited churches where, you know, um, we've partaken in communion. You can find wonderful preachers all over the, the, uh, the Internet, right? Better than me, perhaps. Uh, we'll take that chance. So it's, it's not just, it can't just simply be those sets of activities because you can do those activities Anywhere in the world, in your home, as we found out, unfortunately, during COVID, right? You can do a lot of those just in your home. So what do you think the unique, indispensable mission of the church is? Well, I think I know where we need to go to find out. And I want to look briefly at two passages this morning. The first is in 1 John chapter 4, just two verses. And this is what he says. See if we can gain some clarity from these two passages about what is the unique mission of the local church. John says this, no one has ever seen God. That's an interesting way to start his thought. But he means he's he's not visible. He's not 
tangible. We can't just, as much as we like, we can't get a hold of them, can we? But, he says, if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So apparently, even though God seems remote or intangible, we, we, we can't get a hold of him because he lives in us. If we love one another, and this is, a, as he says, it's a spirit-produced love, then God's love, God manifests himself. God becomes real in us. All right, so there's a clue about our unique mission. And then let's look at Ephesians 4. Pastor Justin has been uh, going through this not that long ago. He says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now these are offices all in the local church, aren't they? Why? To equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is, again, this is like God manifesting himself to us. We're experiencing him in this full measure of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does his work. Now, what I see there is primarily relationships. And, and that's what I want to maintain is the unique mission of the church. And this is how I would state it. I think we've got a slide with it on there. The local church facilitates essential and committed relationships that create the environment for transformation. The local church is described as Christ's body. It's simply really a set of relationships, isn't it? Relationships of love, relationships empowered by the Spirit. And it's in that environment in which these relationships occur that God manifests himself to us. He reveals himself to us. But not individually, as we're in relationship with each other. And, and that's why the, the, the church is considered a body. Now, diverse in its actors and its activities, but still working together in one organism, one unit, one family. So when I look at what it means, I think, to be the church, it's built around what I would call committed and biblically essential relationships. Let's look at the first one, committed. What does that mean? Well, the New Testament, as we just saw in Ephesians, it, it likens the church to a, a, a physical body. And the physical body is really a set of relationships where all the different organs are operating together, aren't they? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a casual assemblage of parts. <laughs> the, the, the parts of the body, they have to be, in a sense, all in to the body, right? They have to be 
committed to doing their part in serving all the other bodies. They can't just, the kidneys just can't take a month off, you know, and go to the beach. <laughs> right? They're all in. It's not casual. It's not, it's not random. It's not, it's not on a whim. So there's, there's an aspect of, of committedness or we can't function. We can't be that environment in which God reveals himself. So when the parts are committed to caring for each other, then God, through his Holy Spirit, he shows himself to us. But it's in those relationships. And his love is made complete, as we heard what John said in John chapter 4. Even though God's invisible, his love becomes known and real in these loving relationships. And we grow into the fullness of Christ. Now, these relationships aren't just random. They're defined for us. You know, they are the relationships of of learning God's word together. They are the relationships of of considering each other as more important than ourselves. They are these relationships of, of serving, of exhorting, of admonishing, right? Of praying together and worshiping together. There's a whole list. You know them because we've been doing them for years and years and years. These aren't activities that we just simply made up. No, they're they're, they're essential. They're absolutely necessary activities. But the key is that they're done in a relationship. They're done together in these very meaningful relationships. You know, we, like I said, you can you can go online and and, and listen to sermons or teaching and hear God's word. And, And you'll grow in this cognitive understanding of the word. But you know what one of the essential parts of preaching is that that Justin has to do for us week after week? In in, in a sense, when he opens up the scriptures for us, he's just doing the first part of the teaching. So let's say Justin talks about not being angry, not not being controlled by anger. Let's say we study that in our, our fellowship groups around the community. That's the nice cognitive part. But you know where the real learning occurs? It, it occurs as we have to live with each other and deal with anger. As we, as we begin to actually apply these principles and, and try them out and practice them and fail and forgive, it's, it's during the week that the meaning of the words actually appear. Nice concepts, but until we're actually living with each other, they really have very little meaning. The, the meaning is the doing in relationships. You think about it. I mean, for those of us who are married, we had some really nice conceptual ideas about what marriage would be like. You know, my wife thought it was going to be wonderful. <laughs> and then she had to live with me. Right? <laughs> you know, and, and that conceptualization of marriage gave way to the actual practice of marriage. That's when we really began to understand so that First night, one of those early nights when we were married in Gainesville, and I heard a band playing down the street, and, and she was in the other room, and I got up, and I just left for about an hour to go see where this band was. I came in, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, and she is livid. Where have you been? And I looked at her, and I said, you know, I never asked any of my roommates before if I could go leave the house. I said, I'm learning something here. <laughs> You're not just a roommate. <laughs> so you have these these nice intellectual conceptions of marriage, but they don't mean anything until you actually live it. 
And it becomes, it becomes the practice and the habit of your life. That's, that's why we said that these, these relationships, they're essential. You, you, you can't substitute, you can't really know what we need to know from the Bible unless we do it together in relationships. See, this is God's good pleasure to do this, to create the church this way, to do his work in us primarily through this tangible and very human and very fallen thing called the local church, these relationships with actual people. It's so important. I'm going to, let's put it up there again. I've reworded. This is the, 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 the mission. The church's unique mission is to foster these diverse Biblical relationships so that the Spirit has the environment to remake us in Christ's image. There's no substitute. God doesn't have a plan B for this. This is it. <laughs> this gathering right here is God's most important structure in the entire world. It's his bride. He died for you. He died for me. There's nothing more precious or more important than gatherings like this scattered all around the globe. All these great corporations, all these great nations, they'll be forgotten. No one will remember them. But the body of Christ, it lasts forever. This is the most important organization, organism, mission of the world. So why is this important for us? Why is it important that we have clarity about our mission, their mission clarity. Well, I think, as you know, in our history right now, if, if you're a first-time visitor, you may not know that for 12 years we worshiped in Blanchard Park at the YMCA and enjoyed that time together. And, but we were also were praying that God would move us out of there and, 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 and into a new setting. And God answered that prayer in September with uh, Ian <laughs> we went by Jay Blanchard Park on the way and it said, welcome to Jay Blanchard Park. And I said to my wife, they should add the word aquatic in there because <laughs> the Y went underwater and we're here. And as Pastor Justin said last week, this is, this is the time of what, of what scholars call liminality, the in-between. It's not where we were and we know it's not where we're, we're going to be. And it's this time in-between of uncertainty. You know, I think about uh, an example of that in the Old Testament when the, 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 the children of Israel left Egypt under Moses and they were headed towards the promised land. But for 40 years, they're, they're in this liminal space. They're in the desert. It's uncertain. And, and although maybe in the desert, Moses didn't know where God was going to lead them each day. You know, it's, it was a hostile place. There's no food, no water. So it's important that God's going to lead them each day. He had no clue, most likely, when he woke up in the morning, where's God going to take us? There was uncertainty. But something Moses wasn't uncertain about was the destination. And that's why he was willing to put up with those 40 years in the desert, because he knew ultimately he was clear about where they were going, what they were ultimately going to do. And so I think for us, as we're in this uncertain space. We don't know exactly what one hope is going to look like in the future. We have to have clarity that what we are and what we're going to be are these committed, these biblically essential sets of relationships. 
in which God through his Holy Spirit can work in us and transform us, our minds and our hearts and our behaviors. That is who and what we're going to be. But as we think about this uncertain place, we may not be sure about the path forward, but we are sure about where we're going. But the interesting thing is, is in this space, we have choices. We have choices about the road that's ahead in, in terms of what our church should look like. And I know that many of you have been thinking, what are we going to look like? We, you, as many of you know, we, we've started some just very exploratory talks with, with Grace Journey Church here. If, if they would like to, uh, to see our churches come together and, and use this facility, I have no idea if that's going to happen or not. Those are just, that's, but that's one choice. That's a possible uh, next step on this, this road. But what I, what, what, one of the things that Justin asked me to do, is in a sense, tell a bit of our story, was also in telling that story, maybe lay out some of the, of the different ways that God has organized or he's worked in his churches, just to, to reinforce this idea that we're, we're not stuck in the past, we're not exactly sure where we're going, but together, and it, trust me, it's not just the, the group of elders saying this is where we're going, but together as a body to discern where God wants to take us and the directions that he wants to take us. So there are a variety of forms that the church assembles itself, creates itself around. We have choices about the road. You know, from the, the early church in the book of Acts, and now we're studying the, the book of Acts together, those churches, they were sort of a hybrid, weren't they? They met in homes, and they had communion in homes, but they gathered regularly at the temple for this large worship service at the temple. So there was sort of a, a hybrid model. That was the very beginning of the churches. And the churches has moved through history in, in a variety of forms. They looked at times like synagogues. They, they took over temples. Uh, when, when the Roman Empire converted to Christianity, they built huge cathedrals right? Uh, the church has exhibited many, many forms over the years. These diverse forms, they become valid when they foster these essential, these committed relationships, and they do the activities of the body of Christ. These, these, these functions should be constant. These relationships should be constant, but the forms have varied. So as, as so part of our story, I just want to tell you about some of the forms that that we've had the opportunity to experience. In the last 20 years, as we've worked with Global Missions, we've been able to, to work with churches and, and mission groups in 18 countries, if I'm counting right, outside of the United States. So we've had the opportunity to see the, the church display itself in different forms. Now, the, the, the most common one is what we would call the traditional church, and that's the church of the building and a paid pastor and programs. And usually... People are attracted to come and visit that church and see what, it, it, in a sense, it can do for them. Some of those churches, the, the, the theme about a traditional church like that is they usually just continue to grow. They're going to get bigger and build bigger buildings, right? The, a, a modern expression of that has been what we call multi-site, where it's still the same church, the same leadership, but they start new campuses around. But the church continues to grow under that leadership. And there's formal programs, formal training. Some of those uh, churches are unusual in that they, they are what you might call service-oriented churches. 
and they're embedded in the communities to provide services. In, in uh, Austin, Texas, there's a church called Austin Stone. And it's really a building of, of service groups during the week, and the church happens to meet there on Sunday. It's embedded in services, outward facing towards the community. Perhaps the most unusual sort of service-oriented church I've ever encountered was what I call the Guitar Church of Hong Kong. A young man wanted to reach out to uh, people in Hong Kong, so he went and rented a space at a local hotel, and he put in an ad in the paper and said, this Sunday morning, come and learn how to play the guitar. Bring a guitar, and we'll teach you how to play. First day, I think he had two people, and he started teaching them praise songs. Every week, they invited their friends, and they brought their guitars. Pretty soon, he had about 400 people, and he had to move to the auditorium. 400 people sitting in church, all with their guitars. <laughs> they were the praise band. 400 people learning praise and worship songs together. And you can imagine that during the weeks, he's not just teaching them praise and worship songs, but he taught them about Christ. And they became a church, a church built around a service of learning how to play guitar. My church in the central Philippines where we served did the same thing, but it was for kids. But I wanted to learn to play guitar and I wanted to learn to speak the local dialect. So I would go and sit there surrounded by about 20 little kids, all of us playing guitar and learning praise songs in Cebuano. Another way to consider church is what we might call church planning or church planning networks. I got, I got a picture of one up here. Well, that's actually me with pastors in the central Philippines. A church planning network, instead of the church trying to grow larger and larger, what it's trying to do is give birth over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how large any of the particular churches are. It just wants to keep planting, birthing new churches. And that's, oh, you can leave that picture up there. Where'd it go? Yeah. And that's what we did in the central mountain areas of the Philippines. Uh, most of the, the, the villages up there had never even seen a Bible. And we were planting church after church after church throughout the mountains. Actually, that's how the Philippines was reached. There was a movement called the Don Movement. In 1970, there were about 10,000 Filipino small congregations with little buildings and real pastors, you know, traditional pastors. Right now, we don't know. It's, it's got to be probably close to 100,000 of those churches. Just little churches multiplying, 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 multiplying. That's another way that the church has manifested itself throughout history. Uh, Another might be what we just call house church movements. Go to the next picture. And these are small congregations. They don't own a building. And they usually meet in homes. They don't usually have, have, a, have a paid pastor or a formal pastor. These house churches are springing up all across the world. This is a, this is a house church in an apartment building in Kuwait City. And I'm talking to the, quote, pastor. He works during the week. But every Sunday morning, there are about 30 or so Filipinos and his neighbors from the apartment buildings, and they gather together for worship, and they live their life together. Those churches are illegal in the Middle East, but they experience freedom, and they have the opportunity to, to reach out to their neighbors all around them. And those neighbors come from every nation of the world, from Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, Indonesia, China. And so these churches can take very easily an international flavor. But they, they, they grow one little house after another, and they're rather traditional, but they're very, very simple. 
in what they do. I've seen churches like this in Toronto. There's a ministry called Move In, where it's a young people move into a high-rise apartments full of immigrant, not usually very nice places. And they just begin to love on the people there. And they start Bible studies in their apartments. And pretty soon there's 20, 30, 40 people gathering, just like this church in Kuwait. And they start little house churches. House churches is a movement that's moving across the world. That's another option, another form. As long as the functions of those essential, those committed relationships in which the Holy Spirit is transforming us, if they're there, then it's a legitimate church. And the final form I want to talk about is what we call discipleship-making movements. These are really simple church formats. Sometimes just a family or a couple of families meeting together in a home. There's no building. There's no, there's no pastor. But what they're committed to is multiplying discipleship. And so these small groups, they just reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And when we say we have a, a, a discipleship-making movement, often when we say we have at least 100 churches, 1,000 believers that are four generation deep, groups of planning second and then third and fourth generation. These discipleship-making movements, we know of at least about 2,000 of them that are occurring among some of the most difficult-to-reach people in the world, especially in Indonesia. After the 2004 tsunami, the Christmas tsunami that hit uh, parts of Indonesia and the most difficult, the most uh, radically Islamic places in Indonesia, Banda Aish, we now see discipleship-making movements of hundreds and thousands of former Muslims coming to Christ, looking for answers. All of these, all these different formats can be true churches. All of them can be true churches as long as they have clarity about their, their mission, what it is they're doing. The forms can vary. It's not that one is better than another. But they fit the context, whether the, the church is persecuted, whether the, the church has resources. All of them are acceptable when they fit, when they're used by God to do the things that God wants to do. Well, what does that mean for us? We're in this liminal place. I hope we have clarity about what the local church does uniquely. It fosters these relationships in which God then uses to transform us. We're in this liminal spot. What road should we go down? What should we look like a year from now? The answer is we don't really know at this moment. That's something that we're going to walk together to find out. But I will tell you how God seems to be pushing, not just simply the the elders, but many of you that I talk to, that we talk to in the church. And, and I would put it this way, up on the slide, there we are. That God is seemingly, as we're walking in this, this, this desert together, not knowing exactly what we're going to be doing day by day, but God seems to be moving us from what we might call attractional to outward facing. For the 12 years we were at, at the YMCA, and those were wonderful years, and we celebrate them. So much of our resources were poured into Sunday morning. So many of you served faithfully on Sunday morning. And, and our, our, our primary uh, contact with the world was to say, come, come and visit us on Sunday morning. Come and see what God's people are doing, what God's people are about. Check us out, our Sunday morning service online. But come, come to us on Sunday morning. That's what we might call an attractional uh, stance or approach. There's nothing wrong with it. And God used it in our lives for many years. But I would say that, that there's a stirring, there's a movement 
for us away from that to be more what we might call outward facing. So that instead of all of our resources and attention focused on Sunday morning, what if these could be moved into our communities, into our homes, into our families? What if we could invest more of our time and resources in developing communities that share life on a more intimate basis? Then people could be exercising the, the gifts of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, instead of, of a few up front in communities scattered throughout in our, in our church communities scattered throughout our city, people are exercising and developing their gifts or in those relationships where God's love is being manifested, in which we're asking people to, to take responsibility, to grow in leadership, especially leadership in the home. What if we could focus discipleship more in terms of homes and, and families and communities? And this would also, we believe in the end, be an expansive outreach most of the people in this community are not going to come to any church on Sunday morning. That day is over. That day where it was simply socially acceptable to come and participate in church. If we're not in the community representing Christ, if, if, if the community of Christ, these, these, these committed, loving, essential relationships aren't somehow seen by the community, then our, our outreach is going to be limited. If I ask myself, what is it that people deep, deep down want? I would say, from my experience, that people want meaningful connections and they want a hope of transformation. Does that sound familiar? People want meaningful connections. They may substitute a million things in there, but those substitutes just betray the lie that, that they're, they're seeking something. They're not satisfied simply in themselves. And there's a hope for change, a hope for transformation. That's our mission. That's who and what we are. I don't know exactly where we're headed. We're going to walk down that road together. But I do believe this is what the, 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 the Spirit is pushing us towards. He's pushing us in this direction. That our life be shared in communities, not just on Sunday morning, but, but in a deeper and fuller way throughout our communities, that we become outward facing. Not so much inviting people to come here. We're still going to do here to worship together, to encourage each other, to learn the word of God, but so much more energy and intentionality to be pushing out towards the community. What will that look like? We're not sure, but I believe that's where God is taking us. So the application for this morning, as we as we think about where we're going together as a body, is simply to prioritize these functions over the forms. To not get, to get too worried about the exact forms, whether it looks like it used to look or like it looked in the church that you were in before. Or, but to prioritize the functions, to always ask the question, are we doing the mission of the church? Are we creating these relationships? Are these, these relationships displayed in the community? Are we allowing the Spirit to have the environment to transform us? That's what we're committed to. That's the mission of One Hope Church. And that's the path that we invite you to come and join us with. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. Talk about the nature of your church, your body. Without doubt, it's the most important group, organism, it's the most important thing in the world because you 
came and died for your church. You didn't die for anything else. So, Father, I believe that, that there's probably nothing more important than to be clear about who and what we are. Lord, I pray that, that the scriptures would go deep inside of us. They will, we would make choices to, to be committed to these, these relationships, these essential relationships. I pray that we would be committed to seeing the Holy Spirit work to transform us to become like Christ in the body. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an openness to where you're moving. That we, like the children of Israel in the desert, we would we'd be sensitive to, to follow the, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. Not knowing exactly where you're taking us, but knowing that your spirit is there. As we encourage each other, as we tell stories of how the spirit is working. Lord, would you direct us as a people? Would you show us your path? But most of all, would you, would you allow us today to be committed to your body? And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.